This is the Words Matter Library, brought to you by Audible. I'm very excited today to welcome my good friend, the historian John Darman, who also covered politics for Newsweek. So he is the perfect blend of history and understanding of the current day political situation for Words Matter. And we are going to talk about his incredible book called Landslide. And Landslide is a book about the period between John F. Kennedy's assassination and a thousand days until Ronald Reagan was elected as the governor of California. And that era of political crisis and two political landslides, so to speak. And John, thank you so much for being with us today. It's great to be here. Thanks. The book is great on Audible because of your style, and you really tell a story, and it's vivid, it's fun, it could be adapted Hollywood, I think. Uh, Clearly, I'm a very big fan. Let's start from the very beginning, and you introduce LBJ and Ronald Reagan. And where was Reagan on November 22nd, 1963, the day JFK died? It's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think the sort of standard idea of Reagan is that he had this early young man's Hollywood career uh, where he was a big star in the sort of early pre-World War II period. But then after World War II, he became more and more interested in politics and was sort of slowly inching his way toward there until finally he runs for the governorship of California in 1966. Uh, but if you ask, you know, sort of the, the famous question um, of Ronald Reagan, where were you the day that John F. Kennedy was shot? He's somewhere he's really not supposed to be. He's working on a movie set and he's playing the kind of role that he hated. He's playing the bad guy in this adaptation of a, of a pretty dark Ernest Hemingway story called The Killers. And he's not even like a tough or, you know, strong bad guy. He's this bad boy who's a uh, bad guy who's uh, cuckolded uh, by his wife um, and is sort of disgraced over the course of the movie. And it's the kind of role that Reagan hated and never wanted to take. But he took it because he, it was the only work that he could get. And I think that uh, that sort of, to me, illustrates how fast Reagan's life changes over the period of this thousand days. That's where he starts. And by the end of the thousand days that I write about, he's been elected governor of California. He's the sort of face of this resurgent conservative movement uh, in this country, and he's really about to change politics for the next 50 years. Let's move on to LBJ. You write in the book that LBJ was the total political opposite of Ronald Reagan in his leadership style. And you describe them. One was a rancher down in the muck. The other was a cowboy riding along the ridge. And talk about LBJ as a leader. Well, LBJ is a very particular kind of leader and a particular kind of approach to the presidency. I mean, you guys have worked in politics and you know that I think people, presidents typically sort of envy both Ronald Reagan and LBJ. Reagan is sort of the president that they say they want to be. um, And Johnson's the one that they secretly admire most because he's someone who was thought of as being really effective at getting things done. And the LBJ approach to the presidency is to sort of Get your fingertips all over every single thing that has to do with your agenda, big or small. Um, There's a story that I I like to think about um, with LBJ's chief legislative strategist for a while was a guy named Larry O'Brien, who was a a legendary Democratic Party 
operative. Um, and there was one time where O'Brien was up on the Hill late at night um, trying to bring home a bill for the White House. And he failed. They came up short. And he thought to himself, oh, should I call the president? He said, well, it's the middle of the night. I don't really want to deal with this right now. He went and got something to eat. Um, and he, he let the time sort of pass till morning. And he finally, you know, gets up the courage to call LBJ and tell him that, you know, they, they came up short. And LBJ's first question is, when did this happen? Um, and O'Brien, you know, told him. And LBJ said, why didn't you why didn't you call me when this happened? And O'Brien said, oh, I don't know. And LBJ said, when you're bleeding up on that hill, I want to bleed with you. Um, and that's sort of the LBJ approach to the presidency. You know, everything is about being there in the moment. Um, that would never be Ronald Reagan. <laughs> uh, Reagan, during his presidency, was known for um, for enjoying a, a good night's sleep. Um, the story I always think about there is um, there's a story that when when President Reagan and President Carter were meeting during the the transition, Carter was concerned that Reagan didn't understand how serious the job was and what was involved in it. And he said, you know, you and I have both been governors, but this is a very different kind of thing being the president. There's a man from the CIA who comes to brief you at 7 o'clock in the morning. And Reagan said, he comes at 7 a.m.? And Carter said, yes. And Reagan said, well... He's going to have to wait a long time. <laughs> um, so, you know, there, these he are still these, in California. Time exactly. Yeah. I mean, but it was the funny thing is Reagan was actually a much and I, I get into this in the book. He was a much harder worker than he let on. And I think, you know, you have to, you have to think about him as an actor um, where the guys who who had to audition and really had to show that it was tough to get there were the ones who weren't that good. Reagan thought it was you were supposed to sort of make it all look effortless. And that was really his approach to the presidency generally was to sort of set big goals and, you know, have these sort of stirring images and then let other people sweat the small stuff. And that, you know, you have in Johnson and Reagan, I think these two really different approaches to the presidency where one is like, because Johnson was the other way, he would really exaggerate how hard he worked. Um, there was a moment once early in his presidency where Jack Valenti, who was one of his closest aides, um, got a call um, at night from a reporter. And Valenti was out of the office. Um, and Johnson answered the call. And he said, oh, I'm answering Jack's calls tonight. He's away. You know, the idea is he's always got his finger on the pulse. And that's what he wanted people to think. It's odd because on the one hand, that's Donald Trump secretly yeah. calling reporters and really wanting to do the whole John Barron press secretary act all over again and managing his own press. But then again, on the other hand, he is more of a Ronald Reagan detached. He tries to, you know, act like he is above it all. And so do you how do you see Donald Trump's leadership style looking at the two of those presidents? It's, it's a great point. I mean, I think about the sort of lesson that you get when you look at these two different approaches to the presidency is that either can work and a president just sort of has to know himself or maybe someday herself well enough to sort of understand which one works for him or her. And I think the problem with Trump is that he sort of imagines himself – I mean one of several problems with Trump uh, – is that he imagines himself as someone who can do it all. He can do both. He can be the wheeler dealer. He has this great – image of himself as that. But he also wants to be Reagan. He wants to be the guy who sort of rises above and doesn't doesn't worry about stuff. And I mean, and I think there's a lot more similarities between Trump and Johnson um, than you might have thought. I mean, Johnson certainly had a whole array of policy and interpersonal knowledge that Trump never had and never will have. But he was 
paranoid like Trump in a lot of ways. And as you suggest, he was really obsessed with his press conference uh, coverage in a way that uh, will, will be you know familiar to anyone who's who's alive right now. And it was it was a similar sort of thought. I mean, Johnson was convinced that the press treated him really unfairly in comparison to his predecessor. In Johnson's case, of course, that was uh, that was John F. Kennedy. And, you know, he couldn't get over it. He thought that the press was really out to get him. And, and in Johnson's case, they sort of were. Um, the Kennedys were very much a presence um, in the early days of Lyndon Johnson's presidency. And they were they were spreading all sorts of bad talk among reporters about Johnson. And reporters were then reporting back on Johnson to the Kennedys. Um, so Johnson had some some right to be paranoid. But he also, I think, suffered from something that Trump suffers from, which is he didn't understand the difference between when you're president and when you're not. Johnson had always had really good press coverage when he was in the Senate as the majority leader. Because what he understood about the Senate was it's this big, complicated, and often quite boring place. And all you really need to do if you're a senator um, to get good press coverage is to give people an exciting story. Um, and that's, you know, very similar to Trump in New York. You know, he just made himself accessible and he was incredibly quotable. And so he got all this sort of adulatory press coverage. Well, when you become president, like everything you do is inherently interesting. And so there's a much higher bar. And Johnson had a really hard time understanding why he couldn't just expect the same kind of, you know, pleasant coverage from the press that he'd been accustomed to. And I think that Trump, you know, will never get over that as well. He used to always get such good treatment from the press. Why do they hate him so much now? And going through this book, another key contrast with LBJ and Donald Trump is how massively productive LBJ was with consequential, far-reaching legislation. And you go through the list, Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, Medicare, Great Society, but it was somewhat his undoing almost that he was so successful. Yeah, I I think a a piece that LBJ had that Donald Trump does not have um, was the idea, like Trump, he wanted to be great and he wanted people to adore him. Um, I mean, he, you know, he wrote his name all over everything. <laughs> he liked he liked nice suits. He liked people to sort of, um, you know, worship him. Even he the had, dogs were LBJ. Exactly. Yeah. He uh, <laughs> he really he really liked um, any kind of adulation that he could receive. He he was like Trump addicted to the telephone in part because when you're president, people, people call you up all the time to tell you how great you are and how misunderstood you are and all that. We want to thank our partner, Audible. If there's a book you like, and we read a lot of them around here, chances are you can find it on Audible. You can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. You can listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, or running errands, or on the subway. We put out some important and relevant titles like Steve Kornacki's The Red and the Blue, Tom Ricks's Churchill and Orwell, Born Trump by Emily Jane Fox, Profiles Encouraged by John F. Kennedy, and Columbine by Dave Cullen. All of those titles into the Words Matter Library. And Steve, tell them about our Words Matter special offer. Right now, for a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for just six ninety-five a month. That's more than half off the regular price. So get yourself to listening. While you're at it, think about giving the gift of Audible to someone on your list. Go to audible.com slash words matter or text words matter to 500 500. 
That's audible.com slash words matter or text words matter to 500 500. Audible because words matter. That's right. Audible because words matter. Audible.